Why are we so selfish? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. So, Josh, yeah, we're talking it is Thursday, which means we're, we're uh, talking doctrine today. be a little selfish today, I guess, I guess just in the spirit of, of, of today's episode. And we're, we're going to talk about how sin uh, presents itself as selfishness, and we're going to explore how that is unpack for us uh throughout scripture and what the what the implications for uh that mean for our lives there you go so buckle up everybody this is going to be uh this is going to be some hard hard self exploration time uh so if you feel a little conviction uh like i'm sure i'm going to during this discussion we uh just remember that's the holy spirit talking let's let's be okay with that and and let's let him root out our selfishness so um so when we talk about sin as selfishness here's what we mean when we sin we are acting out of a selfish attitude and mindset that assumes our action w- will lead us to more happiness than if we were to obey god Because sin is manifested in our tendency to be curved inward toward self, it is the opposite of love. Love looks outwardly to place others before oneself, operating from the mindset that others are more important. When sin selfishly seeks personal gratification and happiness, love works for the joy of others in the hopes of making others happy in God. So, if we had to summarize this doctrine down a little bit more simply, because this is this was a fairly lengthy explanation, uh, sin makes us self-obsessed and self-absorbed rather than selfless. It sounds like a, that's a pretty yeah, good. Yeah, seems like if we're going to be short, talking about summary of that, I think that it should revolve around the idea of the self and pleasing and serving the self above other things. So, yeah, I think that's a good. Uh, truncated, if you will, uh, definition. Uh, sin makes us self-obsessed and self-absorbed rather than selfless as, as God created us to be selfless. And we'll explore a little bit the, the grounding and purpose uh, of that later. But I think that's a good place to start. And uh, I think uh, speaking of places to start, we always want to ground our doctrine and scripture. So maybe we can go through uh, you know, four or five passages that, that speak to this, this concept of sin is selfishness. And I think uh, an important place to start is Genesis 3, where we see the original selfish, selfish choice uh, made, at least by, by humans, uh, in this context where the serpent is tempting Eve to eat off the tree, the knowledge of good and evil that, that God forbade them from, where they had the freedom to eat of all the other trees and had access to the tree of life to sustain their lives in the garden. But this tree, uh, the serpent isolated in order to question God's goodness. And so he leads even this process of thinking that she knows better than God. And God's really trying to keep something good away from her and, and Adam. And we pick up in verse four, where the servant is telling Eve, no, you will not certainly die. The servant said to the woman, and then verse five, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he 
ate it. So on the surface, even, I think we can see the selfish nature of this uh, choice to eat from the tree that God forbade uh, them from eating, uh, where you see that just by the appearance of the tree that it will look good and it was pleasing to look at, uh, and, it, and it seemed to offer some sort of wisdom that, that they hadn't been granted yet. Uh, so we should make this we should make this decision because even though God's not given us permission, we, we feel entitled. We think this will make us better. This will improve our lives, our existence in some way. And we see um, the Apostle John perhaps reflecting on this, this passage, this original selfish decision in the garden in uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. And so we see this type of selfish decision making always uh, replayed in our own lives when we make selfish, selfish decisions. So that's why it has this great range of resonance and applicability uh, to, to our own experience. But J John writes uh, in chapter two, verse 15 and 16 of first John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the father, but is from the world. So you see this, this giving into the cravings of the flesh, what's delightful to the eyes, uh, seeking to grab whatever you can get, you know, the pride of one's possessions. Uh, you see how that correlates uh, in some ways with uh, what was going on in the uh, temptation narrative in, in, in Eden from Genesis 3. Uh, we see how God gives people over even to this selfish way of thinking as a, as a form of judgment in itself and letting us uh, have it our way. You know, Burger King advertises have it your way right away at Burger King now. Well, sin uh, has has a similar uh, motto. And if you want to have it your way, God will give it your way. You're going to find out that this isn't the, the best way. In fact, this is a way that comes with severe uh, consequences that ultimately, and, the, and the, the payoff ultimately does not, does not satisfy, but leads to uh, despair and destruction. Uh, picking up in uh, chapter one of uh, the book of Romans, uh, verses uh, 28 through 32, Paul writes, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So I think uh, it should be very evident to us that selfishness pervades these types of um, characteristics ascribed to, to sinful behavior here. Here we have uh, sinful behavior uh, described more of, even more overtly in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 2, where uh, Paul uses this language of lovers of self. He writes, but know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these 
people. So you have this, again, language of lovers of self and lovers of pleasure, uh, where you're loving uh, these things above God and above, above others. That's at the heart of selfishness. Uh, Philippians 2 is a place where Paul gives instruction to do the opposite of being selfish, which really selfish is a, is a form of hate. You're not honoring and seeking your neighbor's good. You're seeking your own good above uh, your neighbor. So you're doing, you're doing things of selfish ambition. But before Paul gives the example of Christ, who uh, didn't act, uh, didn't humiliate himself in obeying to the point of dying on a cross, uh, he acted in the most selfless way um, conceivable. Um, he instructs the, uh, the, the Philippian believers there uh, to act in, a, in accord with that, leading into giving that example of Christ. And that's in chapter two, verses three and four, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So the opposite of this this selfish behavior in the path uh, to, to redemption of, of living out our new identity in Christ and the salvation God's granted us is to live in a selfless way that's uh, counterintuitive. It's not natural to, to any of us, but it's, it's the path of being restored to what it means to be, Im be made in the image of God and be conformed to the, to, to the image of Christ. And, and Paul lays that out in Philippians 2 of how acting for the good of others above your own uh, exemplifies what Christ did for us. Um, anything you want to add to that, Aaron? Um, well, I think that uh, I think that you you covered all the really big points um, in Scripture that that are that immediately jump jump to mind. Um, I think that as we as we consider this doctrine further, one of the things that we need there are a few things that we need to understand about it, and and one of those things is how we understand the relationship between ourselves and selfishness. And so um, one of the ways that we can that we can take what we see here in scripture is we can we can overread them and over apply them in a sense, in a very careful and I'm being very, very careful here right. because this is the imprecision of language at play. But um, we can read a passage like, um uh like Romans 1 28 through 32 for example and um and its picture of the uh really truly the the darkness and wickedness of humanity um apart from apart from Christ um and we can assume well mm. we only ever do bad things and that's you know we you know it's the same thing with when we uh, when we read Genesis uh, pre-flood, when it says that the that the thoughts uh, the thoughts and inclinations mm -hmm. of humanity were on evil continually, well, when when we read those things, what we need to understand is is that the, they those are referring to pat patterns of behaviors and ultimate meaning um, in those things, rather than surface level overt mm -hmm. sinfulness and selfishness. Um, and so when it comes to this, um, a helpful way to think about it is, is really that people are not wholly selfish. So not everything we do all the time continually is immediately selfish and obviously selfish, but 
all people apart from Christ are ultimately selfish. So um, another way yeah. to say it is that everything we do always has mixed motives. So um, so non-Christians can and do perform selfless acts that are genuinely morally good in and of themselves. But it's the motivation behind it that is uh, is, is the question and it, that it's not in, that their motives and their goals are not always entirely selfless. So um, feeding feeding the homeless because of how it makes us feel on the inside, which is not a bad, not necessarily a bad thing, but right. it's not a pure thing per se, um, or worse, feeding the homeless because of how others will look at us because of what we do. We're we're doing it for we're either doing it for the feeling so the dopamine hit or we're doing it because we want uh we want people to see how good we are which is also another kind of dopamine hit but um so the reality is is that um that that can really be summed up in one word which is idolatry it's it's worshiping our self-identity um putting ourselves and and what we want as ultimate ahead of god um, in in a very real sense, and so all um, there is a there is a level at which all of what we do is idolatrous in this way, um, at least up to the point that we are made new in Christ um, and given this supernatural capacity to worship in spirit and in truth and to desire. Um, to seek the good of others and to put aside selfish ambition and conceit to in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. Things that apart from Christ are entirely impossible for us on the deepest level. Um, and so, but because of Christ, we can choose often um, and, and uh, we can choose to, to behave in this way. We can choose to pursue a selfless lifestyle for the sake of God, for the sake of glorifying him. But in all of this, we do have to remember that that word choice is important because we do choose authentically. We, we make choices that are rooted in our deepest desires at any given moment. Right, and so that's right. why you also see that Christians sin. <laughs> and and Christians sin um, and Christians are selfish at times as well. Um, the difference is is that we're acting against our new nature, where the non-Christian is acting with their nature. Um, and so that's that is um, that is just the difficult reality that we that we face, and that we are by God's grace working toward having be less of a part of our lives right? as opposed right. to being and I the think default mode. when you're seeing people act selfishly and we say that, you know, even, even the good things they do are motivated by selfish uh, desires and, and um, goals. Uh, you're, you're saying that the things in themselves aren't bad, but the uh, overall desire that that's dri driving them is what's bad. And that's how that's, gets at what you were referring to is our actions being inherently idolatrous and what we serve uh, before coming to, to faith in Christ, where we prioritize God's glory 
above all things and we see God glorified and how we serve and work for the, for the, for the good of others. And we ultimately make all our decisions because our will is bent towards something in, in one direction or another. It's not, it's not neutral. Our will will, uh, our will will, you know, I have to repeat the, the word because English is, is, is weird like that, but our will is always going to be directed to what we value the most, what we think is is most real and important at a, at a given moment. So our choices are just living out uh, what our will has surrendered to, has submitted to, is, is most most real. And one of the things that we can see is on in a primal way that all people are are seeking for and striving toward. Uh, besides just their own survival, life is more than survival or else we wouldn't find ways to entertain ourselves or else we wouldn't try to eat food that, that tastes good. It's not just nutritious for us is that all men seek happiness. And I wanted to give a quote from a, a thinker, writer, philosopher from back in the, um, I, I believe it's the, uh, this 16th, 17th century, uh, Blaise Pascal might've heard of Pascal's wager, uh, we're not going to get into that today, but he had some interesting things to say about happiness and how that uh, affects our, our will and our choices. And here's a quote from him is that he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step, but to this object, talking about happiness, this is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So even those going to war or those wanting to commit suicide are ultimately seeking happiness. And so our selfish wills go where we think we're going to find life and happiness. But as we'll talk about later in our discussion, the gospel comes in. And shows that really the path to happiness in life is counterintuitive. It doesn't. We don't get there in the way that we that we might think. We actually get there uh, by being selfless rather than selfish. But we'll 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 hold off on that that discussion until until later when we get into some of the takeaways. Before we get into the takeaways, there's just one more piece that uh, that I think is important for us to to really drill down on. Just a little bit more. I already referenced it a touch um, when we start when we started talking about what we need to understand with this doctrine. But we do need to recognize that um, at its heart, what what this doctrine is reminding us is that sin is ultimately selfish self worship. Um, so even when we willingly serve a false god or an idol, what we're doing, we're doing it because of what we can get out of the deal. Um, I think that a little while ago we made a we made a crack about uh, about <laughs> Ricky Bobby I, I have a and uh, Talladega that, yes. Nights, um, but uh, <laughs> but um, there there's a scene in the in in that in that film, and I'm I'm not endorsing the film, people, uh, just so you know. Um, although I will admit to laughing at it, but, um, but a key thing that is, uh, that happens in there is, is you see this moment where, um, where Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, he gets in, he gets into a, a racing accident and he's 
on fire and he's running around and saying, you know, save me, save me, Oprah, save me, Tom Cruise, save me, baby Jesus, yeah, save yeah. me, Jewish guy. And saying it like that. Uh-huh. Um, and he's doing it because he's hedging his bets. And so because he's just trying to get he's just hoping someone will keep him from not dying or something will keep him from not dying. So it's it's really a perfect example of this is that um, he's he's praying out to anything that uh, that he thinks might have a shot when we but pulling it back away from from, you know, (laughs) questionable 2000s comedies, you know, when we think about the when we think about the Old Testament and the, the, the history of God's people. Looking at the old, uh, looking at the Old Testament, there um, you see the idolatry that the people were guilty of. Um, both, both the 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 Israelites when they went astray and the surrounding cultures as well. Their worship was motivated by benefits provided by those little G gods. So, fertile land, reproductive fertility, rain, military success. Um, power, every everything, bo- essentially revolving around sex, money, and power, um, because that's just what those are the primary motivators, and that's what we also those are also a lot of the primary things that we saw Solomon ultimately fall straight to as well. Um, what makes God, the true God, Yahweh, different from all of those little g false gods, is that he. He doesn't need anything from us. He's self-sufficient. And so the worship of those idols would lead to the people trying to do things to earn favor and to meet uh, and, and, and things like this with that God. And, and so the blessings that they would perceive as being received from them right. would be basically payback. Where... Because Yahweh is self-sufficient, so he doesn't need anything from us. His and all blessings that he provides us come out of his grace. They're an overflow of his goodness. And his commands, likewise, are right. an overflow and an extension of his goodness. Um, and so, um, so remember, the law started, I am the Lord your God who who rescued right. you from 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 bondage um and then he says do these things live this way this is who you are um he identifies he identifies their he creates their identity and then says now live like it um and so the law really was a path to self selflessness when followed wisely and consistent consistently so in that it's because you because you are you belong to Yahweh. Don't steal. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, be impartial. Uh, act fairly. Use even scales. Um, leave behind margins in the in your crops for the poor. Um, these kinds of things. Um, and salvation in Christ and salvation just ultimately. Um, goes even further into this, into a deeper level, because it restores the image of God in its fullness um, in us to be outward focused rather than inward obsessed, where we are, um, we because we were created to embody this goodness and generosity of God to the world around us as his 
his stewards and represent representatives in creation in a way that nothing and no and nothing else that he made was intended to be and so that is that's why we need to to be aware of this and why we need to ultimately give thanks to god because of what he did uh through christ in in coming that we get to that that we can be free of the snare that selfishness yeah is. i think that's a, that's a good point to go back to the 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 old testament and how the law was going to set apart uh, god's people living under the old covenant is they is, is a distinct and holy people who lived with different um the different type of wisdom and different type of of motives and that the law is just is this you know it's contextualized for its its day and age in terms of living in that part of a part of the world in an agricultural uh, society, but it's embodied wisdom of how to live the selfless life. So I think that's a that's a great way to explain things. This point to the law and that it has ongoing relevance as we we see it as God's eternal word that always has significance and authority, uh, but has to be applied differently in different contexts. Since we're no longer God's people. In, in, in the ancient world living in, the, in that land we relate to god the new covenant abroad amongst amongst the nations but nonetheless god's law is life-giving and it's full of wisdom and we should we should glean uh, from that liz- wisdom when it comes to seeking to lead the the selfless life uh now now i guess we're at a point in the in the in the episode where we want to talk about so what difference does this doctor make and that actually touched upon some of it and even just noting how the the old testament uh, with the law has continued relevance uh, for us today but what what are some of the things that we should take away from this doctrine that make a difference in our lives and i'll kick us off with the first one and that's that we can we can sympathize with others when we see them acting selfishly it comes in really handy when you're a parent and your child is just uh, seems oblivious and blind to how selfish they might be acting in the moment but when we recognize that they're that they're sinners just like we are that they have this inclination uh, apart from god's saving grace in christ intervening in their lives uh they have this inclination to uh live for the self and the uh pleasing of self and the immediate gratification of self we we tend to be a little bit more patient when we keep that in mind rather than just trying to um badger them or bluster them into acting uh, more selflessly that's not something that you can uh, you can't change somebody's heart through through a mere uh commands or mere warnings or threats or things that th- things of that sort so well we know we act selfishly on a daily basis so we should also know uh what it is to feel selfish and act selfishly in a given moment for for someone else and sometimes we can even feel justified in doing so but let's let's exercise patience and humility when we see others acting selfishly and not think that we've arrived when it comes to living in a selfless way we want to practice patience with others when we spot selfish behavior uh, but but know in applying the wisdom of scripture that just as grace turns away wrath will generosity toward people when they're in a sinful selfish state of mind uh, that can perhaps turn away their selfishness simply by being kind being patient, being compassionate, that can that can help deter that that sort of behavior, that sort of attitude uh, when when we're around people at a at a weak moment of of selfishness. So on that same note, um, you know, another thing that 
that we can take away from this doctrine is is that um, we can become more self-aware and less self-absorbed by repenting from selfish thinking and behavior and pursuing self-denying behavior. Um, pursuing humility is, um, is, is really a key thing. I mean, we've all heard the phrase, um, you know, humility is not, th- is not thinking less of yourself, but, uh, thinking about yourself less. Um, or, uh, I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it a little bit better, which is that a really humble man will not be oh, thinking good. about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Um, and so, um, so the 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 one that uh, by the way, just as a side note, listeners, um, this is my well actually moment because I am a uh, I am a avid researcher of all things, and um, I had seen this quote attributed to C.S. Lewis multiple times over over the last ten plus years um, that thinking humility is not thinking about yourself uh, is not thinking less about yourself but thinking about yourself less. Well, he didn't say that, um, and it gets attributed <laughs> to him. Rick Warren said that, and it's a good quote, yeah. but Rick Warren said it, not C.S. Lewis. So so just just so you know, if That's you've ever attributed they, you it to that, C.S. That, Lewis, that please warning. don't. And uh, I think C.S. Lewis <laughs> said it better. What what Warren said definitely embodies what what Lewis was saying, but yeah, Lewis had a way of words that yes. few of us can can match. I say that humbly. I say that humbly and selflessly. You know, I I, I respect that. I I hear that in your voice. So anyway, on that note, so whichever quote you prefer, um, <laughs> God created us to love and serve others, and that's why doing good for others really does make us feel good in the end. Um, and it does give us a sense of accomplishment. So uh, earlier, when I talked about that as not being a wholly selfless motive. Right. We have to understand it's not bad to feel good. Feeling good is good, <laughs> but it's 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 what are we pursuing? Are we pursuing feeling good, right. or right. are we, or is that just a, a benefit of of what we're doing? So the gospel is counterintuitive about how we find happiness. So rather than self seeking, which is which is what we're told to do in in the world, and we have from the beginning is to pursue our joy, to um, to live our truth, to be who, to uh, be what we want to be, and all this kind of stuff, um, which ultimately is all self-seeking anyway. Um, we are to be self-giving. And so the one who seeks his life will lose it, is the way that Jesus put it. The first will be last. Is the other way that, that we hear it in scripture. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, is what's what Hebrews 12 says, which is the embodiment of this self-giving versus self-seeking. Because if there was anyone who had warrant to be self-seeking, um, in a in the truest in like in even in a if it's possible to be non non sinful in doing so, um, it's Jesus, because God is perfect. He is God. He never did anything wrong. He had he he had every right to uh, to be worshipped in his earthly life even, and yet um, and to install mm-hmm. himself 
appropriately as king. But he didn't. Instead, he pursued humility. He, gave, he lived a humble life for the purpose of, and denied himself for the purpose of saving others. And so, and so his exaltation comes later. So he is not so, and ultimately, like there is a, there is a very real sense that he is exalted now. Um, but his, but his greater exaltation comes at the end, at the, at the renewal and restoration of all things, when he returns to, uh, wipe away sin once and for all, um, uh, at the at at his second coming in the new creation, um, but ultimately, according to Christianity, the path to life is to give up your life for the sake of others, as Jesus did. Self denial, in other words, is the path to self fulfillment. So, entirely counterintuitive, but when you actually see that play out in your life, it is revolutionary. Yes, yes, and that that's one thing that made the gospel stand out among ideologies and religious uh, messaging uh, throughout the ancient world and, and, and to today is that it's not it's not living in life the way that gets you maximal benefits, but seeking first uh, not not just others, but uh, not to serve a God that's trying to get something that He needs from you and then He pays pays you back. You know that that sort of symbiotic relationship that that paganism's always uh, promoted and, and and encouraged, and it's been the been the bedrock of of most pagan uh, religion that the gods need something. They create man, man serves his need, and the gods in turn bless them. But instead, the God who needs nothing, as you mentioned earlier, Aaron. Uh, provides lays out for us the path to true life and happiness and that's in self that's in being selfless and that goes back as we mentioned earlier to uh, creation and how god made us in his image to reflect him we were to be outward looking not so distracted and caught up in ourselves but on mission for god to spread the knowledge of him across the earth as the waters cover the seas that, that's what it meant to uh, be fruitful multiply and subdue the earth and, and, and the authority of the creator uh, God that he gave humans um, the capacity to do, to do as such. And so that's where we really see salvation is just getting us back in line with what God created us to do, but then leads to an even greater end where we'll be free uh, forever apart from any sinful and selfish tendencies and uh, glorification. We're finally achieving the end of creation and being this, these selfless stewards of creation who seek the good of others and promote ultimately uh, the glory of God, that we will reflect the God who understand, who, is, who isn't just self-seeking, but provides for his creatures in an abundant way. Uh, and yet, because he is the self-sufficient eternal God, uh, he, he needs nothing from us. And so everything he gives us is, is great. It's just, it's just uh, overflow, as you said, of his uh, goodness toward us. And we get to participate in that goodness when we act selflessly and reflect uh, what this, what this God's uh, like. So we always want to keep in mind, this is another takeaway that in following this path of Jesus who lived the ultimate, lived out the ultimate example of, of, his, of being selfless in his uh, life, his death, the sacrifice that he, he gave for us, it, that is 
for Christians, that is to penetrate all that we do and all, all that we are. And if we, we keep in mind that our default mode is to be selfish. We'll, we'll come quickly to see that uh, we are extremely selfish and that it, it, it taints and pervades so many of our daily actions and, and decisions and the thoughts that we think um, day to day. And so when we, we realize how far uh, we fall short of Jesus' standard, uh, that'll just drive us even more to the cross, realizing our need for forgiveness and gratitude that Jesus lived a perfectly selfless life on our behalf that we couldn't because we are sinners. Uh, and so that's why God has the basis to accept us in him. But it not only does it desperately drive us to the cross as the grounds for the forgiveness of our selfishness, but it makes us realize our need for the spirit's power to help us live selflessly like jesus said it's not something that we can do in our own strength and our own capacity but we need the spirit's supernatural grace working in us to make us more like jesus so that we can live selflessly on 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 uh, this level this side of of uh, of, of, of uh, the eternal age to to come if we can put it that way this side of our resurrection uh it won't ever be perfect but we do get glimpses and other people, uh, perhaps more importantly, get glimpses of what Jesus is like in his selflessness through us. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh, that is a great note for us to end on. So thanks for, for talking about this doctrine today. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.